Now, wasn't that great? Now, tell me who teared up. I tear up pretty easy in movies. Hey, just a couple of things before we begin this morning. Um, the mystery dinner is the 29th, and we'd love as many as possible to get up involved with that. The only mystery about it really is uh, who you're going to be eating with. You'll be going to two different locations on the night, uh, and you're just not sure who you'll be with. But we'd love you to be a part of it. So in the foyer, Lee's got a table this morning and there's an opportunity to sign up afterwards. So if you can come, please do. We just mentioned on the uh, vision night two weeks ago that um, we've created a a slightly reduced budget for 2014 and it's still higher than our giving was in 2013. So to achieve our 2014 budget, we need 120 people giving an additional $5.50 a week. That would achieve it. Um, But to get back to where we'd like to be, we need 120 people giving an additional $12 a week. So if we just thought we'd keep that in front of you, uh, and uh, that's for, for just your consideration. But a small amount uh, really helps. We don't often talk about money in your community, but we just think we need to, um, to remind you about those things from time to time. You know, I wonder if you've ever had the experience... Thanks for that. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had the experience of uh, someone being nice to you just because they wanted something from you. I remember some years ago, probably 10 or 15 years ago, we had quite a few friends who'd got these quite exotic security systems in their house. And I think part of the the deal in getting this security system was that you had to give them five names of your friends. And we obviously were friends of quite a number of these because we kept getting these calls. Could we come and tell you about this security system? And so eventually we we gave in and uh, this lady came along and, and she had a whole bag full of stuff and photo albums and man it was scary you know every page she opened on this photo album were these houses that had been trashed houses like ours that had been just totally trashed and and we we were sitting there and boy we, by the time she'd been going through this for about an hour we were quite you know quite feeling quite insecure about ourselves in uh, in our little quiet court in Donvale and so then she told me the price and the price was just out of this world but oh that you could pay it monthly over the next five years or something. I don't know what we were thinking, but we signed up for this thing. And uh, part of the thing was there was a cooling off period. Anyway, she was ecstatic. She's just a lovely, lovely lady. Ecstatic about, you know, having got a, a new client, I suppose. Anyway, part of the strategy, I think, was to get this thing in your house as soon as possible so you couldn't cool off. So we, we did this on a, on a Friday, I think. And by the Monday, the thing was all installed. You know, blue light outside, this big thing in the corner of the lounge room. And I got home one night and had this thing, I'm not really happy about this. I just, I'm not sure that we really need it. And it was sort of, you know, scared that the alarms might go off. And so he said, no, I think, I think we could get out of it. So we decided we'd cool off. We had 10 days to cool off. And we cooled off, which was probably a pretty bad thing to do from the point of view of this person and all the investment that they'd already made. But we cooled off, rang them up. Wow, Heather just got an earful on the phone from this lady who'd just been all sweetness and light when she'd sold us this thing. And, uh, well, it, it went on a bit longer, but I, could, I, I don't need to tell you that much more. But th- there's this sense that sometimes um, we can be really, really nice uh, if we want something or we can be really, really nice because we feel we need to be. But some people are just genuinely uh, loving and they do it with the right motivation. On uh, the Vision Night on Thursday night, Troy talked again about uh, pouring ourselves into other people. As God pours himself into us, uh, we can pour ourselves out into other people. When, about 10 years ago, I was in a, a, a situation which I was finding quite difficult and there was a man, probably 10 or 15 years older than me, who every Wednesday uh, came and spent, sat with me for an hour 
and just allowed me to talk and mainly listened, didn't say too much. When he said things, it was like gold and uh, I listened and I took it on board. And for me, for that probably over 12-month period of that, that input, it was just an amazing experience. Somebody who really cared about me, uh, spending the time to pour themselves uh, into me. I wonder if you've had a similar experience like that. It means a lot. So as this lady who sold me the alarm system, I didn't feel the love, well Heather certainly didn't feel the love when she rang up, my friend who's pouring himself into me, I certainly felt the love. I felt that I was valued. I felt there was, there was things going on there that were, were really, really helpful. You know, when we think about our motives sometimes, it's quite scary, isn't it? Think about why we do the things that we do. I grew up in a, uh, a family where I think the, the old Protestant work, work ethic was pretty strong and that was not a bad thing. Um, but we probably could have grown up thinking that what I do defines me more than, than who I am. And uh, we were the sort of family where we'd, we'd go the extra mile for anyone. Uh, one of our mottos in our, our, if we ever went away anywhere, was we'd leave it better than we found it. And my kids laugh about this. Well, we'd go and stay in a motel and the place when we left, the bed had all be made and everything was looked sort of better than we'd ever... And, and I've carried that over into, I want to leave things better than I found them. It's quite a good... Uh, motto but not a lot of people I find actually have the same one Um, but it just seemed like the right thing to do and it maybe made me feel good about myself but I think often the things that I have done through my life have been done out of a sense of duty rather than out of a sense of love as being the the driving force. Now last Sunday when Troy was speaking he talked about um, belonging, this idea of reducing arm's length in a relationship, you know moving from friendly to friends and he talked about how that can happen when we have a personal connection with other people and we make a personal contribution. We also have this personal conviction that there's value in the contribution we're making. But in the midst of all of that, it's really easy for our our personal contributions to be fuelled by a sense of duty rather than by a sense of genuine love and hence our topic for today, heartless. Um, Because the Bible has a, a lot to say about what's going on inside of us as well as all the externals that other people see. Obviously this morning, probably, if you, if you know your Bible a little bit, we're going to look at a chapter called 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, that's a chapter in the Bible that's written by this guy called Paul, who was a, an early Christian leader. And he wrote a number of letters. This is one of them. The interesting thing is that chapter 13 is in between chapters 12 and chapters 14. And chapters 12 and 14 are really addressing some of the the problem issues that were happening uh, in the church. And so this chapter about love, chapter 13, the chapter that we probably have heard, read at many, many weddings over our lifetime and which we so often relate to uh, love in marriage and relationship type love, this was actually written to a church where lots of things were not as they should have been to address some of those issues. And so love, as Paul writes it, is a vital ingredient. And some of you might have heard these words. This is what he says in the first three parts of this chapter. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Being able to speak in amazing 
languages, languages that I didn't know. And yet if I don't do it in love, I'm like a clashing gong. Being able to speak words of prophecy, understand all sorts of mysteries, have amazing faith, but without love it's nothing. The, the true philanthropist, altruism is all that I'm on about, but if I do it without love, nothing. Even sacrifice or martyrdom without love, I gain nothing. You know, this is amazing when you read it because you just need to think of the, the profoundly beneficial uh, effect of these things on a church like the church in Corinth. If these things were actually working as they should have been, God giving these gifts to individuals with the community for the good of the community, things like prophetic life-giving words, how good that would be to build people up. Faith that's the sort of faith that's so strong that it can move mountains. Wow. Surely when people see those sort of things in action, they'd be convinced of how powerful God is and they'd want to follow him. What a fantastic boost to the confidence and the courage of followers of Jesus if they saw these things working out. But Paul says, without love, without love, all these things are empty, they're vain. Even the most extreme self-sacrificial philanthropy is valueless if it's not motivated and governed by love. Even personal martyrdom is a waste of time if there's no love. So I think you get the message. Love is important. Love is important. But I reckon we need to ask ourselves a question before we dig deeper into this and it's the question, what is this thing called love? I think most of us would uh, try to understand love by, by working out, first of all, what love is not. And I think in our world we have so many uh, things that purport to be love being thrown at us that it's pretty uh, hard for us sometimes to get a clear picture of love. Love in English is an incredibly impoverished word. We talk about love and affection. It's a word that in, in the Greek of the New Testament had four different words for it and the one that we read in 1 Corinthians 13 is a really elevated word for love. But I wonder what you think of when you think of love. When you, if you were to watch your TV, and I've, I've read somewhere this week that Americans uh, in a lifetime, most Americans in a lifetime would watch th- three years full of just, of just ads. That's scary. I, I found that a bit hard to believe. I might not be right, but three years of ads. And so we're being bombarded with stuff all the time. Um, an incredible number, even in our culture, an incredible number of advertising messages come into our heads, don't they, every day. And I wonder as we're succumbing to all that, those what we think, things like my car, I can really love my car. And if you look at all the ads for cars, you, you want to love your car. It's almost like you bow down and worship your car. I can love my barbecue. I can love my job. I can love cricket. Now, we don't like cricket. We love it, don't we? I can love lamb. Everybody loves lamb. <laughs> One man told me about that. I see him every year on Australia Day. We can love our shoes. We can love our clothes. We can love a lot of things, can't we? And we sort of use this word love about them and sort of undervalues the word a fair bit, doesn't it? There's an ad for um, sneakers and the, the slogan for the ad was this, when was the last time you felt this comfortable in a relationship? Wow, wow, amazing. And an ad for a car, you can love it without getting your heart broken. Great. So many advertisements these days make us feel that we have this intimate, even passionate relationship with a product. I think that's undervaluing the word just a little bit. But often when we think about love, we go straight to romantic love, don't we? 
love that's full of emotional and physical energy. My wife knew that song, You Light the Spark in My Bonfire Heart by James Blunt. It's that sort of passionate love that we're thinking about. Love that's full of passion. But passion alone doesn't seem to be enough to sustain a a romantic relationship over the long haul. Love seems destined to fade without a, a commitment of mind and will to the relationship that goes way, way beyond romantic love. Well, that's pretty plastic, isn't it, in our, in the way we use the word. I, I often think of Jeff Fennick, where he sort of talks to the crowd and he says, I love you all, I love you all. And uh, how can he love us all? And do we really want to be loved by Jeff anyway? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, as I grew up, uh, I probably grew up in a fairly conservative family where mum and dad didn't uh, say too much that they loved us, but we absolutely knew that we were loved. Um, I'm glad in a way that in our family we tell each other we love each other uh, quite a bit. Um, I remember this story of the, I think it was Scotchman, who, his wife was complaining that he never told her that he loved her and he said, look, I told you I loved you when we got married and uh, it was 30 years ago and if anything changes, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> but even when we use the words I love you a lot, they can wear thin, can't they? I can remember a time early in our marriage when something would go wrong and I'd, I'd reassure her that I loved her and the words actually were exacerbating the situation because it actually wasn't fixing it, it was just words. And uh, I love you can wear thin if it's just words. So that's just a little bit of what love is not. So what is love? And I think those other loves, they give us a little hint. Romantic love gives us a hint of what real love is like. Love for a car even gives us a hint because we can actually be passionate about it and we can give a lot of energy and thought to it. But what is, what is real love? Someone has said that uh, real love goes as far beyond those other sorts of loves as uh, sunlight goes beyond candles. And I think that's probably true. It's described in this same chapter in the next four or five verses and it says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Challenging words, aren't they? If you had them read at your wedding, it's quite good to go back over them sometimes, isn't it? They're beautiful, romantic words at a wedding, but in the reality of life, what does it mean to love like this? And I think it would be true to say that many people, in the way that they order their lives, they assume a set of values that make what Paul speaks of here seem like at very best a distant and a noble ideal, but almost impossible to live. They live by a totally different set of values. And I thought I'd give you an idea of what maybe that twisted but alternative set of values looks like. I'm going to put them up on the screen again. And I'm, I'm going to pause between each one and I'm going to write, I'm going to read what I've written um, about each of these because this could, and this will seem extreme, some of these, but this can easily be the perspective we take. My time's precious, you know, and I don't suffer fools gladly. So when someone's holding me up or getting on my nerves, I've got a right to be impatient and annoyed. And if you're not responding to me as I hoped you would, well, I'll write you off pretty quickly. 
No use wasting my time trying to cultivate a relationship with you. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there and you don't get anywhere by just being nice. You've got to assert yourself. And if you mess up, well, don't expect any sympathy from me. If If you've got something that I haven't got, or if you can do something that I can't do, I can't help feeling envious. Who wouldn't? I'm only human. It's pretty hard for me to get excited about your success. On the other hand, my achievements are worth applauding. You've probably heard me talking about them. So if I've got something you haven't got, or if I can do something that you can't do, don't worry, I'll let you know about it. I love that feeling that I'm just that little bit better. You see, I've got to where I've got to with a lot of hard work, all my own work, so I can hold my head up high. No one's going to look down on me. I might seem sometimes a bit in your face, but as I said before, you don't get anywhere by just being nice. And when I'm sure I'm right, don't expect me to actually listen to your point of view. It's not, it's my way or the highway. That's my motto. It's my way or the highway. If it doesn't serve my purposes, then I'm not interested. And I, I know how to arc up, you know, when you, don't, when you get on the wrong side of me. I've actually got a little book. It's in my head, really, but it's a book where I keep score. You wrong me, and I'll take a note of it so that I can use it against you at some future time. Throw it back at you in your face. That'll teach you to mess with me. And I love a bit of gossip and slander. The juicier the better. How I love a scandal. Why let the truth get in the way of a good story, if you know what I mean. And so when it comes to relationships, well, I've been burned before. I've learned to assume the worst of people, the very worst. No second chances with me. You let me down, it's all over. Red Rover. And Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, not a keeper of records of wrongs, not a delighter in evil, but a rejoicer in the truth. Love always endures, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Hey, a love like that is a transformative love. You say, wow, it's hard. But a love like that changes things. It makes the world a different place. I tried to find a good definition of love and this isn't a bad one. What is this thing called love? Love is a deep affection for, a delight in and a commitment to act for the welfare of another without regard for their loveliness that often comes at great sacrifice to oneself. Have a look at that and think about that for a moment. How do we love like that? How do we commit to act for the welfare of another person, sometimes regardless of the way they respond to us, regardless how lovely they seem to us? That's sacrificial love, that's self-giving love. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, how do I love like that? Thanks, Rich. How can I love like that? How can I move from this set of values, which sure was pretty dark, but as I look into my heart, I can see some of those attitudes 
that don't, it's, they come to the surface relatively easily. How can I move from that set of values that seems to characterise the world around me, that self-absorbed, me-first type attitude, to these values that restore heart, God's heart, to my world, to the people around me? How can I move from being motivated by guilt or by duty in making a contribution to actually being characterised by genuine self-giving love? It's a good question. You know, I think the answer that God would give you and me today is that we need to ask for it. We need to ask God to pour his love into our hearts. We need to ask for it. I remember a song by a... a, a, singer-songwriter Keith Green who was much more in my era as as some of those other songs were this morning not in Beck's era but he had some words and they went like this My eyes are dry My faith is old My heart is hard My prayers are cold And I know how I ought to be Alive to you and, and dead to me And then he said this Oh what can be done with a cold heart like mine Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Come and wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Powerful words. We need to ask God. We can't do this thing on our own. You try and do those things that Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 on your own and I think you'll come a cropper pretty quickly. Someone has said that the outpouring of God's spirit, God's very presence into our lives is the inpouring of of love, And so when we talk about pouring out and pouring in so that we can pour out, this is it, isn't it? As God pours out his spirit on us, it's the inpouring of love into us. It's like the love of God taking residence in us so that we can be different people. There's a, a, a beautiful passage in uh, another of Paul's letters in Romans and it says this, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. I wonder if we want to think about God's love for us for a moment. God's love for us reached its pinnacle in the sending of Jesus. And God didn't send Jesus to die for us just because we were lovely or lovable. Paul says in this very passage that we were actually sinners, we were ungodly, we were powerless, we were at odds with God and yet God had this deep love for us and he was so committed to our welfare that he sent his son. His love came at the immeasurable cost to himself, namely the, the death of Jesus, the son of God. That's how God loves us and God's love Paul says, has been poured into our, heart, into our hearts, if we're followers of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. God's very presence comes to live in us. So how do I love that like that? I need to ask God to pour his love into me. You know, this kind of, this, this quality of love that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 13 should be the distinguishing mark or the characteristic of followers of Jesus. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, he says to his disciples, if you love one another. Someone said this, the greatest evidence that heaven has invaded our sphere, that God's spirit has been poured out upon us, that we're citizens of a kingdom that hasn't yet been consummated, is Christian love. 
by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The band are going to come and sing for us in a moment, just a closing song. And uh, there's an opportunity for us to actually join with them. It's a song that talks about the love of God. And it's called One Thing Remains. So if you'd like to just sit and listen, that's great. If you'd like to sing along, that'd be great too. But maybe as you listen here this morning, maybe this is all new to you. Thanks, uh, Rich. I just want to suggest a couple of things. If talking about the love of God and the way Jesus loves us, the way that he came to make it possible for us to have a relationship with God that's like this is something that's new to you, well, I'd just encourage you to um, find out more. Don't go away without talking about it. There's a, a course that we run here called Journeys. It's a great opportunity to explore what it means to know God, to experience his love and that'll be running very shortly. So if you want to explore, you feel at the moment God's at arm's length and you want to actually change that, the Journeys course is for you. But maybe you're a follower of Jesus and as we talked this morning about this sort of love, you feel challenged that, hey, when Steve read out those things that were all negative, I could identify with quite a few of those. And I don't want to be like that. Maybe you don't need to ask God afresh to pour his love into you. In in a sense, recommitting your life to him, saying, God, I want you to have all of me. All of me. Thursday night in a fortnight, we're running a, a, a workshop, pastoral care at NCR. Maybe you're the sort of person who you've got a heart that's overflowing with love for other people and you want to know how you can pour it out into other people. We'd love you to come along to that pastoral care workshop in a fortnight's time on a Thursday night. And then finally, I'd like to plug my Growing Leaders course. It's going to be a monthly course. It's going to be great. And if you just want to grow up in these things and learn what it is to live together in community and to serve God together and to understand his love and share it with other people, Growing Leaders would be great for you. You don't have to be particularly a budding leader. If you are, that would be great. If you're in leadership in some way, that would be great. But anybody would benefit from that course. So just leave those four things with you. Maybe you're in none of those categories, but maybe one of those things applies to you. I'd encourage you to do something about it today. Thanks, Lynn.